fetch your Bible. Fetch your Bible. And your, fetch your thinking caps too if you brought them this morning. And turn to Romans chapter 4 on page 806. Romans chapter 4, page 806 in the Bibles we provided for you. We're continuing our fall series, Big Words for Living. Ten words from the book of Romans. Here we find today's word for living, which is faith. Faith is our word for living. Uh, so let's read together Romans 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it, or there is salvation, depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, or basically the Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Pray with me if you would. Lord, you've been preaching this sermon to Katie and to myself really since August. But it's a sermon also that I fear will be hard to digest in one meal. So Lord, I ask of you, I plead with you this morning that it would be your words that need digesting. Your words that our hearts need to receive, that our ears need to hear, that our minds need to wrap themselves around this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith. What is faith? Well, faith is a few things. Faith is a gift from Christ. Right? We're told, Paul says, that salvation is by, by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we see immediately faith's relationship to grace. It falls under grace. That even faith, that even the thing that allows us to see God's grace, to experience God's grace, faith, even that is a gift, an unmerited gift from God. So faith is a gift. Faith is also the spark that ignites life in Christ. All right, we talked about last week, the only thing required to gain favor with God is faith. Faith, trust, belief. All the same Greek word in the original Greek manuscript. Faith, the only thing required. It ignites life with Christ. It ignites grace, makes it active for our life. Thirdly, faith is the glue to 
life in Christ. Faith is what keeps us bonded to Christ as we continue to live for Him. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. In other words, everything we do, we're called to do by faith. But we're not going to talk about that this morning. We're not going to talk about any of these three things. There's a lot that faith is. Actually, I looked up the word faith in the... uh, 1900 page Oxford Shorter Dictionary, which by the way, uh, I'm not sure a longer dictionary exists. I mean, who really reads, right? These longer dictionaries, 1900 pages, ridiculous. Seven definitions of faith, 12 sub-definitions. By the way, my favorite derivative of the word faith, just for fun, uh, is faithist. In other words, you can be a faithist. If you're a member of a sect whose religion is based on a text given through a revelation, you are a faithist. Now, uh, that's for free right there, but don't abuse that word, okay? Uh, You know, there are a lot of ists, right, that uh, I wouldn't want to be called, right? Racist, sexist, bigamist, even gymnast. I don't want to be called that, right? But faithist, that's one I can be proud of, right? So we can call that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you faithist. Right. But anyway, alright, so there's a lot of definitions. Now we could, we could narrow down these definitions if only the Bible gave us its own definition for faith. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, if you hope for something, if you hope for something, you are in a fundamental state of discontentment. In other words, think about it this way. If you hope to go diving next weekend, right, you are in a state of discontentment because you wish you were diving now. If you hope to get married You do so because you are discontent with your present circumstances. And probably your pull-out futon, right? Um, If you hope, right, if you hope you can find a new job, it's because you're discontent with your present job. You hope for something, you're in a state of discontent. So faith is birthed out of a holy discontentment. Faith is birthed out of a holy discontentment. This is the case for us. Maybe not all of us. Some of you had faith like as a zygote, right? That you sensed you were sinners in your mother's womb and you repented of kicking her in the stomach, right? You have faith this early in your life. A doctor slapped you when you came out of the womb and you're like, I believe, right? This is, your, this is your testimony. And it's a great testimony. You have been a Christian. You've trusted in Jesus for as long as you can remember. And man, I'm thankful for that. But I look out there, and I know some of you, and I know a number of you, your faith was initially born out of discontentment. You recognize that something wasn't right about the world. Something wasn't right about the way you lived. Something was broken. You were troubled by decay and death, deterioration that you see all around you. You were discontent with it. And so you looked to hope in some more sure.
sure promise, an assured promise. So you found a promise that started with Abraham and was fulfilled in Jesus. You look to Jesus who could heal brokenness, a broken relationship with God. It says in verse 25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. The thing that severed our relationship, that severed indeed the world and creation from the way it was intended to be, sin, this, which causes brokenness. Jesus was delivered up to reconcile. Reconcile us to God, to mend it once again. You hoped in Jesus who promised to end all death and decay because of his resurrection. Where it says again in verse 25 that he was raised up for our justification. That God raised him for our justification. In other words, God said, I accept your sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for the world. That will bring people into a right relationship with me. That will justify them before me. And in doing so, he not only made us right, but he will make the whole world right again. In a nutshell this morning, if you remember nothing else, this is kind of the sermon in a nutshell, and it's one we're going to have to think hard about this morning. Faith in Jesus gives us a holy discontentment with circumstances being permanent. Faith in Jesus gives us a holy discontentment with circumstances being permanent. Circumstances aren't the way they should be. And to have faith in Jesus means we have a holy discontentment, believing in a greater promise to come where things will be what they should be. Abraham's faith was born out of this kind of discontentment. He saw that something was wrong in his life and he looked forward to a greater promise. Let's look at that first. Verses 16 through 21. Follow along with me here. That's why it depends on faith that the promise may not rest on grace or the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, in other words, again, Jews who've been following the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. We are called to share in the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. What characterizes Abraham's faith? What characterizes his faith? Let's keep reading. It says it here. Verse 18. In hope he believed against hope. Where most people would have resigned themselves to the permanency of how things were. Right? Things are just this way. You've got to deal with it. Abraham raged against this. Right? He, he was filled with a holy discontentment for more. What more had God promised for Abraham? Verse 18. Again, we'll continue on. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So he would have children, become the father of many nations. Continue on, verse 19. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Now, when God's word says you're old, alright? When God's word goes out of its way to say, look, your body is as good as dead. Man, I mean, he, you were seriously knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. All right? You know, the guy from the morgue pops by, right? Just to peek in and say, hey, man, just in the neighborhood. So uh, if you need anything, you know, I'm here. We might as well get this done, right? If your body's as good as dead, the Bible says this about you, man, things are bad. Like the neighborhood kids, they stay away from your tent. Because they're afraid of the, man, dude, there's a living corpse that lives in there. I've seen it. Right? It's frightening. 
I mean, your wife is checking your pulse every time you're asleep, right? This is what it's like for Abraham. He is almost there, going to be home with Jesus. <laughs> People were no longer asking him and Sarah, you know, that question. So, when are you guys thinking about having children? Right? That was not happening in their life. No one was thinking this. But instead of buying in to what everyone else was saying, to what made sense to everyone else, we're told that no distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced in God's promise. It says there in verse 20. So we have this faithful discontentment in Abraham. I said, yeah, man. I'm almost there. I'm about to go home. But I'm still going to believe Jesus. As we know, this brings with it a dilemma. Because Abraham had no idea when this promise would be fulfilled. Right? He had no idea when this promise would be fulfilled. It was already 100 years old. And indeed, it would be many years before he would see a baby out of this. A baby with he and Sarah. Indeed, he and Sarah actually tried to take matters in their own hands by having Abe know, in the biblical sense, right, uh, what Sarah's maidservants, right, just in case God's plan didn't work out. Right, let's, go, let's make sure we have a plan B. He had this dilemma, this dilemma we have. How do we live by faith when we're not told when circumstances might change? How do we continue on to live by faith when we're not told when? This is a dilemma for Abraham. It's a dilemma for us. Let me get personal with you for a few minutes here. Katie and I, wife Katie and I, are dealing with a, with a dilemma like this. Since having Mason, we've been very blessed that Katie could be a stay-at-home mom right now. But you know how Cayman is, right? We're here. We knew this coming into it. But right now, Katie's working uh, basically four jobs. She's a part-time art teacher. She's a student at UCCI. Getting her teaching cert- certification there. She's a mom slash wife. I'm counting that as one job. <laughs> All right. Putting it together. And she's a pastor's wife. Right? And that is a job in and of itself. Okay? And in fact, I really want to get her this t-shirt I found on the internet that says, I want to be a pastor's wife. I found it the other day. I thought it was awesome. But I'm, I'm waiting for the right time to buy that. She will receive it <laughs> with love and affection. But, but as her husband, not only... Does this affect me as, as, as our lives have radically changed? And not only does it affect me from a one flesh perspective as I care for her, you know, and I want the best for her and I worry for her, but it affects our practical day-to-day living, right? Our, our boys and I are having a lot more boys' days, a lot more daddy days, right? And I'm becoming frighteningly proficient at folding clothes. I mean, I'm telling you, man... Old Navy, Banana Republic, The Gap, man, they are on, they're on standby if this, uh, this pastor's gig doesn't work out. Because I can just boop, fold, retail, I'm in. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. It's getting frightening for me. I'm not, I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. Well, we've gone on a few dates. You know, she's working basically every available moment she has. and So inviting people over, getting additional time together... Doing stuff even as a whole family is difficult and sometimes even impossible. So we find ourselves asking, Father, you know, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? 
Now, I tell you this, i got to say, I do not want you to feel sorry for us. In fact, I tell you this really because I know that many of you are faced with your own trying circumstances like these. You know, where you're asking the same question. Oh, when is it going to end? You know, how do I keep living by faith but I don't know when this is going to end? But we know, we know, don't we? We know that if he tells us when, that faith will end. Right? If he tells us when, faith will end. You know I'm saying? If he was to tell us, okay, this will all be over, 16 days. Don't worry. Alright? If he tells us this, what happens? We start relying on that light at the end of the tunnel. Right? Oh, no need to rely on God for strength. No need to have faith in him to persevere. It will all be over soon. If he tells us when, faith tends to end. So how do we live by faith if we don't know when circumstances will change? The key, I believe is to make it your highest aim to know Jesus. Sounds simple, right? The key is to make it your highest aim to know Jesus. And then I'm going to tell you how we, how we produce this, how we grow in this. But we need to make it our highest aim to know Jesus by faith because when we do so, two things begin to happen. Two things begin to happen. The first is that you begin to see a life-transforming reason for present circumstances. You start seeing a life-transforming reason for present circumstances. You start thinking, you know, this tends to happen. You'll tend to say this comment. You might wake up and say it one day. You might pray and God brings it to mind. You might read the Bible and it makes sense. A friend might say something that might spark it. But you'll say one day, yeah, I see this. It makes sense now for my situation. And for what I know about God and my relationship with Him. Right? It clicks why these circumstances are the way they are. So for example, in Katie and I's situation, this sermon that I said was born really in our hearts a couple months ago in some ways has driven us to know Jesus better. Alright? And he has shown us how it clicks. Not that it's easy. We had to pray about it again this week. But he's shown us how it makes sense for our lives. A life-transforming reason. For instance, Katie's extremely gifted. I want to brag on Katie for a minute. He's extremely gifted with compassion and mercy. Specifically towards people who've often been misunderstood. The place she's teaching, she's teaching at Hope Academy. Some of Hope Academy students learn differently. And God has, always, has already used her tremendously to love on those students, to, to understand those students. And it makes sense that she's in that particular place. She's also very gifted, I feel like, in evangelism. She's great at reaching out to people. She's naturally then, because she's kind of almost forced to, connect with people in two different communities, right? UCCI, she goes to school there, and also here at Hope Academy. Alright, makes sense. Now, her husband, he is very gifted in uh, selfishness. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's a gift, but I have it. Alright, so... Um, you know, and, and I know that God is taking me to another level of depending on Him and not on myself. Because I am more and more Mr. Mom, and I am not comfortable with a sponge in one hand and Spider-Man underwear in the other, all right, as I, like, cook something with my elbow. Okay, I'm not good at this. It's making me depend more on Jesus. 
So it makes sense this is happening because our lives are being transformed. You see this? I, I actually think this happened with Abraham as well. Abraham, he seemed to be, if you look at his life, a make-it-happen kind of guy. All right? This was kind of his tendency. He got things done. All right, so you think about it. We mentioned Hagar and Ishmael. All right, they made the backup plan, he and Sarah, right? Because he was worried that God couldn't get it done or might not get it done. So we have plan B. All right, Abraham was a guy, he brokers a real estate settlement between he and his buddy Lot as they look out over this undeveloped territory. All right, everywhere. And he says, you know, I'll take this side, Lot. Why don't you take the, this side? It's a little better. All right, makes it happen, right? He negotiates with Yahweh. Right? To save uh, a couple cities. Sodom and Gomorrah. Alright, Lord. How about if there's 15 righteous people? What about 10? What about 5? He negotiates them all the way down from like 50 to 5. Alright? Abraham is a guy who just got things done. So, when he was asked to wait on his offspring by faith, I'd like to think it clicked for him. At one point... It clicked and he said to God, of course this makes total sense for me, God. I'm a doer. I'm a get it done kind of guy. Often getting things done even without your help or depending on you. So I need to wait on you. I don't need to forget about this baby thing and resign myself to the fact that we're not going to have kids. I need to wait with a holy discontentment but believing you're going to fulfill it. Right? Right? And that's where I think faith bridges this gap. Follow me here on this. The gap between contentment and discontentment. It is a discontent contentment. Alright? You know things aren't the way they should be. But you wait by faith for God to act on His promise. And you're content to wait because you know he's making you more like him. He's transforming you more and more into his image. Here's the second thing. The more you know Jesus, the more you just wish he'd end this whole charade so you can just be with him eternally. Alright? You know, Lord, I don't care if you come and the earth, you know, dissipates. Because I just want to be with you. This happens. The more and more you know Jesus, the more and more you have these moments of really longing for his return. Because, friends, some things God doesn't want to give you now so that their fulfillment and eternity will be all the more joyous and produce all the more exaltation of him. Now, your circumstances, they may be leagues more more difficult than mine. Okay? Tremendously more difficult. I know that some of you have slaved away at jobs for 15 plus years in fields for 15 plus years that you hate. I know that some of you have suffered. You've suffered uh, miscarriage after miscarriage in your life. I know that some of you are carrying burdens. You're carrying cargo that never seems to find its port. I recognize this. But even, and I pray that God might change the circumstances, I do pray that, but even if he changes one circumstance, there will always be something else. You know? 
there will always be something else. Always be carrying a godly discontentment because something will always be messed up in our lives because we live in a fallen and broken world. Do you see that? We'll always carry this godly discontentment around. Man, things are not as the way they should be. Even happened for Abraham. Interesting. The Bible actually says this about Abraham. That Abraham, verse, uh, this is Hebrews 11, verse 13. Abraham died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having greeted them from afar. Now you might say to that, wait a minute. I thought he received what was promised, right? He had this baby, Isaac. Right? He saw it came out of the room. It cried. He held it in his arms. It was all gooey, etc. Right? Abraham saw Isaac. Absolutely. Evidence of God's promise. But he didn't see his grandsons. Jacob and Esau. And friends, that's what it's like for us in life. We're blessed if we get to see the Isaac. Part of God's promise fulfilled. But there will always be Jacob and Esau's. Right? There will always be part of the promise that is not fulfilled until eternity. Until God's plan comes to fruition. We will die before that happens. There lies in every struggle a promise fulfilled at your resurrection. If you're in pain, every tear will be wiped away. If you're tired and beat down by life, there is an eternal Sabbath rest. If you're beset, you're frustrated by sin, you will be clothed with robes of white one day. That's why, friends, the remedy now is to more intimately and more thoroughly know Jesus to the point where you're longing for His return. Then, the promise doesn't seem so far away. Because it isn't. Because it isn't. So the key to carrying on in this discontented faith is knowing Jesus. Alright? Knowing Jesus more and more. But there is one more obstacle I want to talk about. I want to get practical here too as well. One more obstacle. A second dilemma or problem. That is, some of us try to change circumstances on our own. Right? Similar to what Abraham did. Because we assume that God just wants us to be happy. Not necessarily holy. I know some of you, you're discontent with various things in your life. You're discontent even with living here in Cayman beyond this year. To be more specific. You want to take the next step in your career or you just don't like the place as much as you once did. Or some of you, for instance, who are expats. So you try to take matters in your own. You just say, well, I'm just going to apply. I'm going to leave. I'm going to make this plan. Others of us are on the opposite end. We resign ourselves to the present circumstances. We assume that it's God's permanent will. This is just how it's going to be. Right? And we lower our expectations. This is just how it's going to be. I just got to get used to it. Both responses lack faith. Both, and it's hard to hear, both responses lack faith. So how do we, how do we produce faith? Faith 
that will help us endure in knowing Jesus and living this discontented faith like Abraham. How do we produce faith? Well, there's a tricky thing about faith. Tricky thing about faith. Focusing on faith itself can actually do more harm than good. I want to read you something from my favorite heroes of the faith. He's a 19th century pastor named Charles Spurgeon. uh, London guy for all you Brits out there. This is what he said in this little book called All of Grace. He said, remember, remember this or you may fall into error by fixing your mind so much on the faith, which is the channel of salvation, that you'll forget the grace, which is the fountain and source of faith itself. He goes on to say, See that the weakness of your faith will not destroy you. A trembling hand may receive a golden gift. The Lord's salvation can come to us though we have faith the size of a mustard seed. The power lies in the grace of God and not our faith. Great messages can be sent along slender wires. He goes on to say, Think more of him to whom you look than of the look itself. In fact, you must look away even from your own looking and see nothing but Jesus and the grace of God revealed in him. In other words, I think we pray a lot, you know, God, I need more faith. And God is saying, don't worry about it. Get to know more Jesus. I'll take care of producing the faith. You know? So how does this happen? How is more faith produced? I want to give you two ways. We'll end on this. Two ways. A holy looking and a holy loitering. Let's start with holy looking. A holy looking to Jesus. Like Spurgeon says, looking to Him. Not thinking about how can I make my faith better. Just looking to Him. How do we do this? First of all, revisiting Calvary. Revisiting the cross. I'm going to read Spurgeon again because he's, he's just awesome. I love the dude. Uh, he also goes on to say this, that the cross, which is the object of faith, is also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the cause of it. He's, he says, he recommends, sit down and watch the dying Savior till faith springs up spontaneously in your heart. There is no place like Calvary for creating confidence. Going to the cross again and again in our lives for forgiveness of sin. Secondly, holy looking can also look like worshiping, glorifying, being in the presence of Jesus. It's why worship through song is so vital in our faith. Right? We have this opportunity to be in His presence, in His glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite verses, says this, Then we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another. In other words, just by being in His presence, we're beholding His glory. He's changing us a little at a time. Looking to Him. Hebrews 12, 2 says it a little differently when it says to fix our eyes. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Looking outward to Him in praise and worship. It's beholding His glory. Produces faith in us. 
And also, another way of holy looking, theology. Alright, study, theology literally means a study of God. Which means everybody's a theologian because what? Everyone has an opinion about God, right? They have something they want to say. Head knowledge isn't everything. Alright, I, I grant you that. But don't you want to know more about this guy slash spirit slash divine being you're saying runs your life? Right? You need to know him with your mind as well, looking at who he is. Pick up a copy. Next week I'll have them in stock on the back table of G.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's a great place to start. Holy looking. One more way to produce faith. That God will produce faith in you, I think. This is more of a tip than anything. Holy loitering. Right? Just hanging around Jesus and thinking about him. Right? Between TV shows, on a walk, in your car, while you're waiting for an appointment. These are often times I find God starts to produce faith in us through holy loitering. What do I mean? You start wondering about Jesus. I often wonder, what was Jesus like as a kid? Alright, what was he like as he grew in wisdom and stature as a kid? There's actually a song about this by uh, an artist named uh, Rich Mullins. Have you ever heard of him? Uh... He wrote a song called Boy Like You, Man Like Me, where he says, he wonders, man, did you ever wrestle with dogs? Did you ever play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? Right? And he wonders what it was like to know Jesus. Here's that age. What was it like to hear Jesus teach from a boat? Right? Think about these things, to wonder about Jesus. Or what was it like to be one of his apostles and listen to him in the upper room? Right? Jesus was, was pretty much, I think, probably the only person of whom we don't say, man, I hope this guy's sermon's short. He must have been like, I mean, beyond captivating. Or what about being the kid from whom Jesus borrowed the fish and the loaves to multiply? To watch Jesus use your sardines and sourdough that you had in your brown bag, right? To perform this miracle. And it's important too that we wonder about Jesus and ponder Jesus with others. That's why community groups are so important, friends. Be involved in one. To think about this together. And there's no need to look at your watch or to jump to or make a rush to conclusions. Rather just to sit, to think as faith is produced in your heart. Or take a Saturday afternoon to read the Gospel of Mark. And just ask the Father, what do you want me to learn about Jesus? What do you want to show me about Jesus? Friends, faith. You know, it's a strange word in many ways. Hard to understand, hard to pin down. But I think God is saying to us this morning is, don't worry so much about your faith, or the state of your faith. Worry about knowing Jesus. He'll take care of the faith as you live a life of holy discontentment. Let's pray. Abba Father, we trust you to take care of the faith. That you will produce that in us as we aim to get to know you better. As we aim to look to you to behold your glory, to revisit Calvary, revisit the cross again and again in our life for forgiveness, 
for the strength to carry on. And Lord, Lord, that we consider just who you are, Jesus, in our lives. And as you produce faith in us through knowing you, that you will help us persevere in not being content with present circumstances, but always hoping for something greater, a greater promise fulfilled only in you, Jesus. Help us carry on by faith. In your son's name, amen.